Awesome. We're in a, um, a series um, this year, Identity in Christ. It was actually quite timely. I never, I didn't plan this morning, but a lot of the testimonies that we heard this morning tie directly into what I want to share today. You know, our lives are like a picture of the promised land. So if we imagine uh, Israel's journey and where God led them into his promises and into everything he had for them, in many ways our hearts and our lives, the journey that we're on from the moment we're born to the moment we go to be with the Lord, it represents this territory. It represents the conquest of the human heart, of the challenges that we face, the work that God wants to do in us and through us. We face giants that are looming. Some are very big, might be relationship challenges, health challenges, things that come against us in this life that stand up against the very promise of God that he's come to give us life and life abundantly and yet the fear can be right there beside it. Challenging, are you going to step into the work or the the promise that I have for you or are you going to be like, I suppose, the fish? I like that analogy too, just floating downstream, going with the current. Am I just going to let life sweep me along? Because God, Jesus said in John 10.10, the enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. These are very real dynamics, very painful dynamics that we can all experience. And we know we live in a broken world, but Jesus is the gate, he is the door, he is the bread of life, he is the light of the world. And in him, there is salvation not just in a moment, but in a process as part of this journey that we experience. And so our lives are like this promised land. We we come into an experience of God's promise to us, our salvation, and then the conquest begins. I've got a question for us to consider today, and I want us just to take 30 seconds to talk to one another Has there been a time where you've had to be strong and courageous in your journey of life? What does this look like? And maybe in picking one situation, what did you do? What was it that helped you overcome? If we could just consider that just for a couple of moments together. Just uh, turn to the person next to you. Maybe there might be a small group. Let's consider that together right now before we move forward.
I like that graphic, Glocko. Did you make that, Glocko? That is Glocko. That is Glocko. <laughs> if, be strong and correct. I'm actually, can I just confess, I am no good with heights. No good. I turn to water when I'm in very high places. Tara does better than me, I think. So how do we go? How do we go with that question? How do we go with considering moments where we've had to be strong and courageous? What was it that helped us overcome? I want us to hold what that felt like, what that looked like for you, because that's an example of overcoming, you know, and it says in the scripture that God has called us to be overcomers, to overcome not only by the blood of the lamb, that's the the work of Christ that broke the power of sin and death and of every curse. Not only by the blood of the Lamb, but the word of your testimony. We heard some testimony this morning. God wants us to overcome by the word of our testimony. Consider that for a moment. Sometimes we can feel like the stream has caught us. I'm kind of moving in the moment, Megan. The stream's caught us and it's taking us downstream. But life can come back into us. We can swim against the current. We can face those giants in the territory that come. You know, David faced two giants. I don't know if we're aware of this. We often hear about Goliath. But in Samuel, we read actually of a relative of Goliath that attacked David in his older years. See, when we're young, when we're spiritually vigorous, we can do anything, or we feel like we can. And uh, God in his grace, he's with us in every season. But David faced a giant, actually, in his later years. We're going to look more at Joshua today in a moment. But moving forward to what Joshua did, David inherited a land as king, but he still faced some giants. And one of these giants... Uh, it says strapped on a new sword. He had something new that he was going to bring into this man's life to bring him down. And often we can face things that we think we've conquered, but the enemy's waiting for that opportune time. You know, Jesus you know, faced that actually in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. We look at his temptation and it says that the enemy withdrew and waited for a more opportune time to come at him again. David faced this. We face this. We face issues that we think are behind us at times, but the enemy's goal is to kill, steal and destroy. But God has a plan, and even with Israel, what they achieved in the physical, we achieve in the spiritual. God, it says in Judges, allowed enemies to remain in the territory to teach his people how to fight. And this is something that you and I encounter as well. We might face situations and we think, I've done everything I can to keep my life clean. I've hedged all my bets. I've covered all the risks. I'm, I should be safe. I should be good. If I can just kind of stay low and keep my head down, maybe I'll be left alone. But see, as a child of God, as someone who has been born again, who has put their faith in Jesus Christ you automatically and unfortunately come with a target. And it's not always pleasant. But the word says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
and in fact the victories that we have that stem from the cross, the Bible says that we are making the enemies of God a footstool. So your victories, heaven is watching on. Your victories that that you and I are making over fear, over intimidation, over isolation, over insecurity, over these things that want to cage you in and make you very small so that you don't live the full life that God has intended you to live. These are the things, these are the victories that God is wanting you to overcome. And you think, well, why does my life matter so much? Well, today you need to get a bigger view of who you are in Christ because you have eternal significance. Your life matters. Your life matters. Your victories matter. So there's barriers. We, 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 we enter this promised life, this promised land, and we, we see the potential. We see life before us and we see the opportunities, the beauty, the, the greatness of things that in terms of we, we can visualise ideas or hopes or dreams or things that we'd love to do or achieve. The world calls it self-actualization, identity achievement, but actually God has a much bigger picture than just our experience. It involves, in fact, a world that we can love and engage with and people that we can help. It goes, it's far bigger than just your experience or my experience alone. And he invites us into this promised land. And here we face those giants. I want to look at Israel's story today. I want to look at the story of Joshua. And I just want to provide us a little bit of backstory because I believe that Joshua is a man who inherited actually a big task because Moses was the one who encountered the presence of God. He, he had the big miracles. He saw waters parted. You know, what, imagine coming after someone like that. Imagine being a leader who has to come in on the experience of, you know, something like three million people who are watching and waiting on this leader's every word. And then there's Joshua, the assistant, the son of Nun. But there's something about this man that prepared his life. There's something that you and I can learn from that will actually prepare us to go into our promised land, that will prepare us to live the life that God has for us. And it doesn't matter. You might have been floating downstream for a while, but God can breathe life back into you. He can breathe. Your journey is not over. Just because a giant comes at you with a new sword, it doesn't mean to say that it's over for you. In fact, it's Abishai, one of David's 30 men. In fact, the leader of his 30 men that comes in and rescues David. God has put you alongside other believers to stand with you in your journey. You will not be overcome. You will not be overwhelmed. You'll not be burned in the fire, it says in Psalm 46. You'll not be drowned. So Israel's backstory, you know, Joshua and Jesus have a lot in common. 
The name Yeshua is the Aramaic or Hebrew word for both Jesus and Joshua. And we translate that Hebrew word into English and it gives us the word Jesus. It's called transliteration. We carry the letters over. But essentially the the word is Yeshua. Jesus is the fulfilment or Joshua prefigured the greater spiritual work of Jesus who would bring us all into freedom, who would bring us into the promises of God. But we need they, he and we need to be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. And this is the charge that we're going to see. We're going to look at um, Joshua 1, 1 to 9 soon. So Joshua is like Jesus and, is the, and prefigures the work of Jesus that we experience globally as the human family, that we have opportunity to, to come into. You know, Moses was called to rescue Egypt. We see that in the book of Exodus. We see the revelation of God's love expressed in a covenant relationship with Israel, expressed in the law. And this, the law actually came after his loving rescue. We need to remember that. The God of the Old Testament is not this harsh God that's looking for every mistake. But the law, Paul says in the New Testament, did reveal sin. So there was a, there was a problem. We needed a saviour. But it did reveal God's righteousness. And so Moses brings the law. He brings the covenant. He brings this beautiful relationship. Israel was intended to be a light to the nation so that you and I, which today we're sitting here because of that work. But Israel struggled like we struggle. They struggled. They complained. They entered into unbelief, the Bible says, and ultimately there was a generation that perished in the wilderness. But then they got a second chance. Aren't we glad that God is a God of second chances? They weren't left in the desert just to die because of their unbelief. There are things that I've had to come at in life and have another go. Fear of man has been a big one. When you've struggled with intimidation or you've struggled with others harassing you or belittling you or trying to squash you down into a, a mould of who they think you should be and you've lived a life like that, it can be difficult to assert yourself. Intimidation needs to be broken so that you can live and live a fulfilled life uh, within yourself and serving God. These are the types of things that we face. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones to enter the promised land. They were the only two, the Bible says, that acted in faith. And there's something in these men that we can emulate. There's something in these men that we can replicate through faith in Jesus. And they were still going to have opposition, giants, and things that they would face. And so this is the picture we have. But let's have a quick look. I want to jump now into the man Joshua, just before we look at our key passage. Because the keys here are about God's presence and his friendship. Joshua knew something about God. Even though he was on the the coattails of Moses, 
an incredible man who performed miracles and who'd been called to rescue a nation. You and I might not necessarily have the presence of some of the Christian leaders and men and women of our nation and of other nations, but God is calling the Joshua generation, I believe, to come through now and to stand firm and to not lose territory and to be a light in our nations and to speak truth. And we do this from our closest relationships all the way out. So let's have a look at Joshua, Exodus 33, 8 to 11. In the New Living Translation, we see here the connection between Moses and Joshua. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting was like an early version of what would be eventually the tabernacle, which then eventually became the temple. So when they were travelling as nomads, they would have this tent of meeting and God's presence would fall. So when Moses went out to the tent of the meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Very important, as one speaks to a friend. God is a God of friendship. God is a God of friendship. Do you know that today? You might see him resting on others and you might in some way look up to them or think I could never have that but God is no respecter of persons he loves you and he offers it says in Psalms friendship to the godly afterwards Moses would return to the camp but the young man who assisted him Joshua son of Nun would remain behind in the tent of meeting just think about that for a moment Everyone else is gone. They're focusing on Moses. Joshua's just the assistant, but here he is hanging back. Joshua has discovered something about the friendship of God. Joshua has discovered something that's going to empower his life and is preparing him, but it's secret and it's hidden. It's unseen, possibly even by, by Moses at that time. Moses is kind of, his attention is elsewhere. And for us... It doesn't matter who's looking. It matters that God is looking. Where are our affections? Where is our time spent? We can seek out God. We can seek out his friendship. We can seek out his presence. This is a, a character trait, something that, you know, it implies here that Joshua did this more than once. Jesus says... Of his followers, go behind a closed door, it says in Luke. Close the door and pray to your Father who is in heaven. There are times where corporate expression, corporate worship is valued. Being in the house of God, being in the courts of our God is a beautiful thing. But it is just as precious to be alone with him 
and to be still and to wait patiently for him to speak out his word. So Joshua is an example. He would remain in this tent of meeting. He would draw on the presence of God and on the friendship of God, being acquainted with his ways. We heard that this morning. Being loving the ways of God. You know, we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith and you can kind of go to weird places and think, well, isn't that works? No, the ways of God protect us. We've been saved by grace so that we can live for God. We can live for righteous living. We can wrestle with the things that might give us problems and, and overcome them. So not only is Joshua, so we've got Joshua the man, we've also got, though, before them, before the community, the promise of God. And I want to just quickly allude to Genesis 17, 8. It says, And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. So here we have the promise that was given to Abraham, the forefather of the Israelites. He was a wandering Aramean, it says. Didn't have a homeland. And so before Israel, before they're going into the promised land, they're aware that God has spoken. They're aware that there's a promise that is awaiting them. But they've been in slavery for 400 years. So the promise looks a little bit dim. It looks a little bit unachievable. And it can feel like that for us at times. God has made us a promise, but we're going, I've been in this place now, wandering around and around, or I've been a slave to something. But there are moments where God comes and sets us free and he fulfills his promise. Do you know it took 25 years for Abraham's promise to have a son, Isaac, fulfilled? Just in the natural, just in his own experience. It was probably another, what, probably 400 years or something, I imagine. No, it was 400 years between... Anyway, won't go there. Um, it took another 40 years of wandering, you know, to, to actually enter. And so, you know, in Deuteronomy 8, 6 to 10, the people are thinking, God, you've got this beautiful land for us. So it says, so obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you. So he's fulfilling the promise. It's not just this moment. We're in the process of living out the promise. It's a, an active verb almost, like where he's bringing us into the promise. He is bringing you into the good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, of olive and honey, it is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is as abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The promises of God were before the Israelites. This was like a carrot saying, come on, face these giants. It's good. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says that the promises of God 
all of the promises of God, you can't count them, Scripture is full of them, hundreds, are all fulfilled. They are yes and amen for you and I in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The, the culmination of all of those promises comes together in the person of Christ and when we are in Christ, we also enter into the slipstream of the life of God and all of the glory and the promises are a part of our journey, the conquest of the human heart. And so we see here the picture of Joshua, we see here the picture of his faithfulness and his character, but we also see the promise and the slavery that they've been in and this tension that we can live in between the promise of God and the circumstances that we're facing. But what do we do? Do we reference this or do we hold up the word of God? It's hard. I don't, I don't doubt it at all. We, we live with some difficult tensions at times, but I tell you now, church, my testimony, along with many of you, is that there are moments of breakthrough. If we continue to resist the devil, it says he will flee. And there are moments of breakthrough and blessing. So Joshua 1, 1 to 9, in the time that we have left, I know I've pushed things out a little this morning. Go with me if you could. Be strong and courageous. This is what we all need to aim for because it's not easy. It's, it, it sounds good. It sounds strong. It sounds like it's, yeah, that's what I need to do. But actually doing it in practice can be a bit difficult because at times actually you feel like you're actually very weak. It feels like weakness, but it's actually strength. The continued application of the word of God, the continued standing, the continued, I'm going to advance here and not retreat. This is actually strength. And so it says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. Moses's assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Well, you'd think that would be obvious, wouldn't you? <laughs> you think that'd be obvious. Well, Lord, yep, you're telling me what I already know. But sometimes we need to take stock of the reality, the shift in the season. There, there are some in our faith that are now moving on. We are left to hold the territory of life and faith. For our nation, we're in a period of transition where you'll notice in the media, you'll notice in the, the national spotlight, things are shifting, ideas are coming in very quickly. What are we going to do? We're going to get sucked into the slipstream of, of just what the world's doing or are we going to stand for Christ? Are we going to stand for the kingdom of God? And this is something we need to work out for ourselves, but also hold an appropriate tension in our relationships and in our, the expression of our faith, not with anger or placards or things like that, but with an appropriate tension and response, well thought through responses. And so Moses represents a change for the people of Israel. It was a big change. The people were probably going, 
can Joshua do this? They're kind of out there saying, yeah, we've got you, we've got you, but secretly going, God, you've you got you to help him, you know? Joshua probably had questions of himself. Moses is dead. It's on me now. But God says, I am with you. We need to recognise the seasons of change and transition. goes on to say, therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Again, I am giving them. It's outworked in a process, not just in a moment. God, I've got this prayer, I've got a need, or I've got uh, some kind of situation that I need you to kind of speak to me on and what God's doing he's outworking it because we're lifelong learners we're people that draw from experience not an abstract kind of if I can understand the principles of it no we're to live it Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. So action needs to proceed from this recognition. So Joshua had to mobilise the people. He had to communicate the change. He said, now is the time. So it's important for us when we need to be strong and courageous to recognise the season that we're in and to be able to articulate what that change is. What is it that God's asking you and I to do? What is it that he's asking us to grow into? We then need to plan the change, make steps for the change. Often it's, as I said, a process. And then we need to hold that territory. This is the process. So what is it for you? What is it that the Lord has for you? Is it just a promise that's sitting out there somewhere and we just think God will somehow just kind of do it? Or are we, I've always said God can't steer a parked car, so I just at least get moving. I I knock on every door, so to speak. I look at every option. I say, Lord, where are you? You've said this. I don't want to be presumptuous, but Lord, I want to get moving. So I start praying about it. I'll make a plan. I'll articulate that to Tara. I think God wants us to do this with our children. Or I think God wants us to do this with our finances. Or I think God wants me to take a season to work out some health issues. And so I I hear what the Lord's saying. There's giants there. There's there's looming issues. But then I break that down. We make a plan. I'll talk to someone. I'll get some advice. I'll pray about it a bit more. Then I'll start stepping out the change. I had a huge fear of public speaking as a young man So I felt the Lord calling me to not only know him, but to to serve him. But I had this huge issue of standing in front of people. I would get physical reactions. I won't go into the details, but (laughs) I would get physical reactions. And it, it was real. It was painful. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. I felt about this big... And then victory for me, stepping out into that space at times, I remember I I stuffed a few of them really badly. I was given opportunities just to lead groups of people and to minister and it felt like I'd completely failed, but it wasn't failure. It's only failure if you give up 
if you don't learn from it, if you don't go back to God. Even Joshua failed. He crossed over the Jordan, performed this incredible miracle like Moses, the, the Jordan opens up and the people of God cross over and then they, they're completely defeated at I. Completely defeated. And so they have to go back to the Lord. So what did, what's wrong? goes on in verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses. Whatever you, wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev in the wilderness, in the south, to Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I'll be with you as I was with, with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Isn't that comforting? This is a promise God makes to Joshua. And he makes the promise to us. In Hebrews it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am the same yesterday, today and forever. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Paul recognises this. God is faithful to his people. And you and I have been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit as a down payment to say, yes, I can trust God. When you experience God's peace or his love or answered prayer or the love of the community of God, that's a big thumbs up from God saying, I've got you. I am with you. And we are all wait. We all wait for his appearing. As we live out, as we make his enemies a footstool. So what are God's promises to you personally? God makes one to Joshua. What are they for you? Can we recite them to another person? Goes on in verse 6, be strong and courageous. For you are the one, you are the one who will lead these people. To possess all the land, I swore to their ancestors, I would give them. He has to hear it again. Be strong. Being strong is a choice. You're not going to feel strong, church. I don't always feel strong. Just being really honest. I don't always feel strong. I don't always feel it in my emotions. I don't always feel it in my thoughts. But I anchor myself and reference myself against the promises of God. And this is what Joshua had to do and it's what we've got to do. We've got to know what they are. What has God promised you? It may have been 30 years ago. That promise that you got back there is still just as relevant, just like every promise in Scripture. Just finishing up, drawing things to a close. We cannot be led by our feelings or our fears. Otherwise, we'll get carried downstream. Verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction. It's the early scrolls of what we now have as our Bible. The book of instruction were Moses' writings, Joshua's writings. 
The prophets would eventually be added to that. And then the New Testament. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you'll be sure to obey everything written. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Incredible. The word of God. So Joshua now has been given something else. We have been given something else. The word of God. We do have a battle today for sources of authority. Science does not know everything. I follow a lot of scientific commentary. I am by no means an expert. I am more in wonder at God's creation. But I try to understand. And the top scientists, astrophysicists and, you know, people who study subatomic matter and quarks and all these different things, they say they do not know. They don't know where it all came from. But we do, by faith. And the word of God is a source of authority. It lays out, by faith, everything that you and I need to live a life of meaning and purpose until Jesus returns. I love what it says in Psalm 119, 89 to 90. Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. Your faithfulness extends to every generation, enduring as the earth you created. To every generation. So the word of God wasn't just for the the people who initially experienced it in their day. It builds, it says, for every generation and it's culminated in Christ. The Bible, I want to reassert with us all here today, the Bible is the source of truth. It is the source of revelation for every generation, for you and your children and your grandchildren. Stick to it. Abide by it. Read it or listen to it. Meditate on it, recite it and memorise it. Declare boldly God's word. Hold your ground on the word of God through resisting. Verse 9 finishes and it says, This is my command, be strong and courageous. A third time we hear the same thing. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sometimes we need to hear from God more than once. And Joshua is told, as you go on this conquest, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. We need to hear this today. What's your promised land? What are the things that you see before you? Fear, it says here, and discouragement are the two things that can undermine and that can compete with the promise of God. In fact, discouragement flows from fear. Fear is false evidence appearing real. It's just an imagination a lot of the time. Yeah, 99.9%, I think there's a survey out there, of people's fears don't eventuate. They're just held in fear. We just, we just think it's going to happen and we're terrorised by that and we, we can retreat. But today, I want us to not be fearful or discouraged. Today, let's focus on his presence like Joshua did. Let's focus on the promises that are before us. 
And lastly, the rest that Joshua promised Israel is completed in Christ. Hebrews 4, 8 to 11, and I'm just closing on this right now. It says, now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labours, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. God wants us to enter his rest. There's not a striving in this. Jesus has done the work. We just have to agree and stand in faith. That's our part. Anything more is striving. Let's focus today on his presence, on his promises, and let's rest in that work. Can we stand together today? I want to pray for us.